On the Empire Podcast this week, we welcome Cara Delafine into the pod booth for Paper Towns, plugging purposes, and silly selfies while we say goodbye to one of our own with a heavy heart. All that and more on the movie podcast, it has to remind itself that some birds aren't meant to be caged. Their feathers are just too bright. And when they fly away, the part of you that knows it was a sin to lock them up does rejoice. But still, the place you pod in is that much more drab and empty that they're gone. I guess I'll just miss my film fact fiend. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast. Today, I'm joined for the first time in ages by three, count them, three colleagues of such lethal cunning, uh, because it's a joyous occasion. What a time to be alive. Oh, no, actually, because this is a sad occasion, and one for which I've reconvened the original Fantastic Four, the quartet that began this pod three <laughs> and a half years ago. Uh, so you get me. Sorry about that. You get Helen O'Hara, our geek queen. Hello. Uh, you get Phil Dissemblian, our art house guru. Hello. And no funny introductions this week because you're also getting Ali Plum, our film fact fiend and the man who edits this podcast for the last time. For Ali is being killed off on the podcast in gruesome Game of Thrones style. Uh, or alternatively, he's leaving Empire after almost, what is it, Ali, seven years? Seven years. We're not going to turn this into a, into a you know sad occasion, a wake or a morgue or an autopsy. Whatever it is. Uh, we're going to turn it more into celebration of the man who has the best hair I've ever seen and who was my indefatigable onstage partner. Didn't think I'd get through that first time. During all those uh, What a Fucking Idiot shows that we never actually did. Normally, we would have lovely questions for the entire team, but today I've decided to turn it into an alley-only question session. Okay, so here we go. A lot of you sent in questions for Ali. We're going to try and get through as many as we can. First one is from at beggar underscore so. What's the worst thing you've ever had edited out of the podcast? <laughs> as your lawyer. <laughs> oh. The C-bomb has crept in more than a few times. Sometimes just outright facts that are wrong. Mm -hmm. Some examples of ones that I should have caught was the fact that I confused Dungeon Siege with Dungeons and Dragons yesterday. Yesterday? Last yesterday. week. Yesterday. So there's an example of something that should have, should have got out. So just imagine if I'm letting that through and I did it, imagine what I got <laughs> rid of. Some pretty nasty stuff. Dan mm. Jolin is a particularly bad egg when it comes to a lovely normal conversation and suddenly... Boom. Bang. Bang. Hits you. With what? Well, I can't R say. Ah, what upsets you more? Uh, libelous things or sweary things or facts that are wrong facts and popping clapping slamming of the table spitting but when I talk about right. facts there's always an element of excitement it's always going to be a bit of banging and slapping maybe a C-bomb <laughs> my god a fact <laughs> maybe a C-bomb oh. just, 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 just chuck it in who says who drops the C-bomb out of excitement and just drop one yeah <laughs> we don't do that the answer is loads unfortunately I can't tell you next yes there's loads of stuff mm. right next one this is from Dick Squinty you might have to cut that out uh, which critically acclaimed film do you actually secretly hate or at least consider fastly overrated? Uh, a Serious Man would be the one. <laughs> I couldn't get it. Mm. Like, I know that I know what it was trying to do. I just didn't get it. And I felt that it was so over my head and I felt so stupid watching it. Yeah. It wasn't for me where so many of the other Coen Brothers movies were for me, I felt, or that I was getting something out of it, but I was just left. Is that because you live in a part of London where Dibbucks often turn up at your doorstep and ring the doorbell? No. And you're like, not again. You guys. Come on. <laughs> Ding dong. Oh, whatever. I'm kind of with you in that film. I kind of, I, I feel almost like that's a Coen Brothers doing a Coen Brothers pastiche in that movie. Yeah, it's almost like they're going, hey, do you like it? Do you though? Somebody walks up and says, hello, I love, you know, Serious Man. They go, really? I immediately think you're a moron. Because that, that was the <laughs> trap door that we put in the middle of our floor. You walk through. <laughs> 
They what? would put a trap door in the would. middle of their floor. They, they would. would. <laughs> All right, next question. Uh, it's from Ad Revolutionary, uh, who says, what are uh, Ali's favourite podcasts other than this one? I've discussed this before. I'm just going to wrap them off again. I would say How Did This Get Made, which is a great podcast about really, really bad movies. Mm-hmm. There's also Harmontown, which is Dan Harmon, who created Community and a bunch of other stuff. Self-obsessed, but it's still very good. There's a good movie that uh, came out of it called Harmontown. Uh, you can check it out on Netflix. Uh, I also listen to, of course, Desert Island Discs, uh, which is just fantastic. And uh, the likes of The Bugle, which is on a hiatus right now. And I also listen to the traditional American highbrow, well-made radio stuff like Stereo Lab and This American Life and That Sort of Banana. And I'd also mention Archers. It's a good show. You should guys check it out. Uh, it comes out in a podcast form as well. And I also just listen to a lot of radio on the Radio Player app, which I'm still getting used to, the iPlayer radio app. It's new. Including, of course, I'm sorry, I have no clue. I hate the Now Show and don't listen to the comedy podcast when that's on. Yeah, screw those guys. Mm. I've never listened to it, but gives a job. Yeah, gives a job, obviously. Uh, Ad Lee 100 asks, "What's the best theme park ride based on a film?" Jurassic Park. Uh, Jurassic Park. I just like it. I, I know it's simple. I know it doesn't last that long, but in Universal Studios, uh, Los Angeles, just really like it. Revolutionary again. Hogging questions. What's your favourite Empire cover slash issue from your time at the magazine? My first ever cover, well, it isn't my first ever cover, but it's the first cover where I really thought, wow, I'm seeing this being made, was the Avatar cover. And I remember thinking, I wonder how this is going to sell, because it was just very dark black background. There were some stars, but it was just a Na'vi, deep, rich blue, and it looked beautiful. And it didn't sell, because it was one of those films that kind of came out on this big flurry of, oh my God, we should see this. But in advance of it, people were quite wary of it. I just want to give that a tip of the hat because I don't think that gets enough love. It's a beautiful, beautiful looking cover. I think my favourite though is the Wolverine one where for the movie The Wolverine where it had the Japanese cover treatment for Empire mm. for the subscribers cover and it had him like up close with the with the claws out. Uh, so good they put it on the poster campaign. Slightly annoying. But yeah, that also <laughs> had my Breaking Bad feature in it so I, I really feel quite strongly about that one. I love that one. Anthony Kinahan says, OMG, No! We'll miss you, A-plums. Question is, what's the juiciest film gossip you've been told during the interviews? I'm presuming this is <clears throat> scooping, because uh, I don't really go for the, the gossip gossip. I mean, I guess if you wanted gossip, Imogen Poots revealing that Sam Neill has a pet pig called Poots, and she's vegetarian, that, that would be gossip, right? Yeah, that's mm. gossip. When I asked the most absurd question ever about Quim, the word Quim, to Joss Whedon, and he casually revealed on our podcast asking about a whole bunch of stuff, the Joss Whedon special from a couple of years ago, he casually revealed that Loki wasn't going to be in Age of Ultron. Of course, he kind of was, but then kind of wasn't. But that was a huge scoop that kind of got by accident, so I have some pride in that. And then Phil and I, when we were talking to Ryan Reynolds for The Crudes, which is not a good film, I personally think, he was talking about Deadpool, and he really engaged with us and like enjoyed talking about it. And he had a great line about how the script for Deadpool was just one edit away from Deadpool jumping over the desk of a Fox producer and wringing his neck for making X-Men Origins Wolverine happen. So that, I'm really fond of that. And then The Rock gave me a couple of scoops once and stuff like that. It'll all be my Twitter feed. <laughs> a couple of scoops of lovely ice cream to go with the Krispy Kremes that The Rock loves mm, so much. He does. Uh, 32 Years of Dave asks, these are all Twitter questions, by the way. The burning question is, how hot do you have your chicken? 
And which sides do you go for in Nando's? Mike Friel asks, uh, what's Ali Plum's scientific background? I need to know the science bit was properly peer reviewed. When I was 11, I once pointed at a, a solar powered, like rotating propeller that was on a window and said after the sun came out, oh look, it's flying because I couldn't differentiate between something spinning and the word flying. <laughs> so I think that proves my credentials. I was also asked at around that same time, what would be the concern if you put a metal spoon and stirred a hot drink and left it in there? Why would you be concerned about that? And I said, because it might melt. <laughs> I mean, if the drink was hot enough. Are you exactly. having like a cup of lava? A cup of lava, it could happen. Some lava java. Versus <laughs> the volcano. Oh, okay. Phil <laughs> got it. Dan J. Brady asks... Strangest character encountered. Have you ever met Gary Busey? No, but Chris Hewitt's my strangest character encountered. <laughs> oh, thank you. If you weren't two people away, I'd come over there and Don't hug tickle you. you. Uh, Jordan Bowers, 15, says, On a scale from 1 to 10, 10 being the highest, how awkward was that Henry Cavill interview, the glasses one? I'd say 8. Well, fill, fill me in. Basically, what happened was, for Man of Steel, I was having a really good run for the video interviews. Uh, Angie Traer, who I still can't pronounce the name of, was wonderful. <laughs> so was Michael Snyder. Shannon. <laughs> and Zack Snyder were all really on good form and I was having a good time with them it was awesome and <laughs> then came the Chucklebot himself well you're burning all your bridges now <laughs> you're just, you're Henry just Cavill I just, him a place. I just found him we, we didn't really get on yeah and he just wasn't having any of it. He just wasn't <laughs> connecting with any question. He wasn't willing to see the funny side of anything. And I eventually just kind of burnt my bridges at the end of it because I thought, sod it, this is going so horribly wrong. He's yeah. just not giving... All the responses were like, what do you mean by that? And by that, do you mean this? And I'm afraid I can't answer that. I said, okay. And I took my glasses off and I said, would you mind showing me how you put these on? So he could do the Superman put the glasses on thing. Yeah. And he reached over to go and get it. This yeah. is how I remember anyway. Yeah. He reached over and then he put his hand out and went, nice try. Oh, is that it? And then the interview ended and I left. But part of you never left. <laughs> still in that room. The ghost of me is there going, come on, that would have been so much fun and easy and you'd have looked cool, but no. Anyway, I still get messages about it. I heard an interesting fact this week that when he was getting fitted for his Man from Uncle suits, he apparently accidentally broke the door of the fitting room and came walking into the tailor's room holding the door in his underwear, <laughs> saying, he was in his underwear, not the door, saying, what do you want me to do with this? Actually. Next time you decide to make a mortal enemy, can I suggest maybe Woody Allen? <laughs> <laughs> I like Woody Allen. I know you do, you love Woody Allen. You can also no, but Henry still in a fight. Is yeah, there a but... question about how much Ali lives of Woody Allen films? No. Can I ask one? This is very unorthodox. I know, sorry. Can I try tweet it in? To be fair, Quickly tweet at Phil DeSemin says... Tweet me. I've got to tweet. And I'll read it out at the end of the uh, tweet um, Empire Magazine using the hashtag. What's the hashtag? podcast or I won't see it. Right, so... Come on, let's go with this. Next question. Come on, let's go. Read your questions, not people you've worked with for seven years' questions. Uh, most disappointing interviewee. That's another uh, Dan J. Brady. I think we probably covered that. Most disappointing... I wouldn't say it's disappointing, but John Landis once told me to fuck off. <laughs> Um, which was that's not disappointing that's awesome was that disappointing I don't know it's because you know <laughs> Helen will preach to this one uh, basically you're typing in the live chat you're doing your live chat typing whatever and I was just typing because he talked really quickly so I was typing as quickly as I could of course when I was writing like don't I didn't put the apostrophe in because I was going to fix it after the fact oh, no. and so he shouts god damn it man there's an apostrophe in that fuck off where do you get these people like jokingly yeah. and I'm just like <laughs> Sorry, I too have been yelled at by John Landis. He I think it's yell. a badge of honour. He can yell. Uh, he doesn't mean it. He's like a cuddly, a cuddly 
Grumpy Uncle. Pete Foe 88 says, How did you get your start at Empire? And any advice for someone who is dying to work there? Thanks and best of luck. Great question. Uh, I got a job at FHM before I left uni in a weird turn of events. I have the doing work experience there and then they were redoing their website and needed somebody to help out. So I came in and helped out and I got a paid job like in May before I got my um, university results, which was really, really, really cool. So I stayed there as long as I could, but I'd already planned to go to a university, uh, an MA conversion course at City University for journalism. Unfortunately, something known as the financial crisis was just blowing up throughout all of this period. So I went and did my MA and came back and just kept every holiday begging for a job. Could I have my job back? Can I have my job back? And so FHM kept doing what they could. But by the time I actually finished my course, they went, yes, so there's no job for you. The job I did have was replaced by three people, not because I did so much, but, but because the website was expanding. And yeah, so I just wanted to work and I couldn't work. So I said to my boss at FHM, is that anywhere I can stay? In the meantime, I'll just take a desk and sit on it. And he uttered the immortal words, well, there is a free desk at Empire. So my face just like lit up. So I just sat on that desk and I haven't left for seven years. Basically, I wasn't getting paid. I didn't get paid for like three or four months. But I think I you're still getting paid, right? That's no, that's, that's, that's right. absolutely right. That's why I'm leaving. Uh, there was just so, so much honour and excitement in being there. I've actually got a bit money, then a little bit more money. And then I actually ended up doing another job as well as this. And for about three and a half years, I was working two jobs. So to answer your question, there is no simple way of either going to Mordor or getting a job at Empire. I think you've all got similar stories that are reasonably, let's say, convoluted. But I just got lucky. I just sat on the seat and I just had somewhere to stay and I just kind of stuck it out and I made it work. And then for the past three years or so, I've had a full-time position where I was getting paid enough to live. Mm -hmm. And it's something I'm very, very proud of, which is why it's so sad that eventually all good things must end. And when you've stayed somewhere for seven years, maybe it's not your first job, but your second job, you just have to go. I've had an absolutely, utterly amazing time. And don't get me wrong, I speak to people who go, what the hell are you doing? You're leaving the best job in the world. Maybe I am, but you, everyone's got to learn sometimes, so I'm just off. You've got to eat, right? you got to eat, bro. <laughs> it's a big thing. you just got to eat. you got to eat. Bailey Potching, what was your most memorable experience with Empire, either in an interview or a set visit? Great question. I'm going to rattle these off. Meryl Streep, when we discovered that we didn't have the batteries for a recording. <laughs> That's a recent thing as well. And she was it? like, oh, you don't have batteries. Well, why don't you go get some? And I was like, I will. So I went and did that. That was actually really good fun. And she was wonderful. Bill Nye, he was great. Do you remember that, Phil? When he talked to us about being the uh, El Presidente of the Crystal Palace women's football team. The whole football team, the whole football club, wasn't it? No, it was just ladies. Oh, uh, the ladies. Okay. Uh, Brian Cranston, uh, when we were having discussion on the set of Breaking Bad, which I may have brought up already, where he said... We were talking about people taking photographs with him and at the end of the interview he was the guy who said hey do you want a photograph because we were having a discussion about wouldn't it be fun that if you only actually responded when somebody asked you for a photograph with a grumpy face <laughs> so i've got a great photograph of him looking like someone's just slapped him and me going yay it's <laughs> like in the middle of a hotel room arnie's please explain video which you can watch online it's on youtube uh, i won't say any more about that scar joe and chris evans uh, coming up with Barbershop Quartet names for Captain America's Barbershop Quartet, which of course turned into a t-shirt that's made by Dark Bunny Tees. I have that t-shirt. I have the t-shirt. Uh, so that was a really weird experience. Getting Chris Pratt to unearth his Only Ways Essex uh, impersonation on the podcast. And then I kind of brought it up again at the Apple Q&A store thing I did. And then it was on bloody Graham Norton. He got him to do it again on Graham Norton. Didn't that happen as well with Jake Gyllenhaal? Didn't he reveal his love of Greg's in our interview? Or he, was that somewhere else he, he did? It happened in my interview. He yeah. was eating the sandwich and we talked about Greg's in that interview. Yeah. He had finished the sandwich over the course of the interview we'd enjoyed. 
and then had left the wrapper on the table. Then another person comes in and interviews him and goes, oh, I see you like Greg's. They get ah, the scoop. They get the hot scoop. Nonsense. We got, these are big scoops. Big these, scoops. these are massive scoops. That's hot gossip that he loves. And ha- the thing is, it's not that he loves Greg's. Yeah. He's actually a very sardonic, funny, like quite sarcastic guy. He doesn't actually love Greg's. Yeah. Happened to be eating one. That's mm-hmm. right. Jean-Claude Van Damme doing the kickboxer dance in front of me on video. Mm-hmm. Terry Crews popping his pecs in front of us, Chris. Emma Watson teaching yep. me to dance. These are all videos now. And the Hobbit supercuts where I asked everybody in the Hobbit cast what was in their pocket. And finally, Russell Crowe's IMD Bunker, which of all the interviewees that people have gone, oh, he's going to be tough. He just wasn't. He was actually a lovely man. He'd just been out drinking the night before with um, Ricky Gervais. Hot gossip. There you go. Hot gossip indeed. Right, just a couple more. And then uh, you know, we'll let you go from this exit interview. Peter Banner, one, says, do you like plums? No. A uh, couple of last questions. DT Haslop uh, says, Empire staff go as the Avengers for Halloween. Ali is Loki. He gets to pick everyone else's costume. Who goes as whom? Nick is Spider-Man. Helen is Thor. You are Black Widow. And Phil is Iron Man. I would rock that. Yes. Who are you again? Thor. You were Thor. I was Black Widow. Because mm. my shapely thighs. Well, probably. Real Fred Romano asks, uh, What song? Would you like Chris Hewitt to send you off with at the end of the show? We don't do songs because we can't afford to pay for them. But if we did, what would it be? Nobody does it better. Oh, thanks, man. That's really nice of you to say that. And Phil Desemlian says, Question for Ali Plum. What's your favourite Woody Allen moment on screen, not that time you broke into his house? Well, the answer is, as well you know, the bit in Love and Death where he's flirting with the Duchess, with the Countess, and she's kind of giving him, like, the eye and maybe, like, a couple of kissy face moments. And he whips out a fan and starts fluttering it about his face and then eventually unsheathes a sword and then pokes it at her going, mm, 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 mm. It's just honestly hilarious. It's so, so good. One of the early funny ones. Right, that's it. You know, thank you for indulging us in that. Um, thank this you. Is a very I really appreciate it. Special. Uh, I'm incredibly sad right now. So yeah. let's, let's just appreciate that I'm you know. really doing really well not to cry. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a sad day for us, you know, because, you know, but, you know, Helen has left the podcast, but we knew she was coming back, so we didn't do a Helen exit interview. You know, she, you know, she was back next week. Ali is not coming back. He's gone. But he's keeping so, his hair long. But, so what uh, does this mean? Thank you. For- <laughs> Could he return? <laughs> what does it mean? So if you're new to the podcast and you're wondering why, if we just spent 20 minutes <laughs> talking to one member of the team, then. You don't, it's not like this every week, but if you've been with us from the beginning, then you'll understand why we just did that. Put it this way, there have been, what, 170 plus mm-hmm. regular podcasts. Mm-hmm. I have edited 300 podcasts Yes, for this, because we you've, do so many specials and spin-offs. And you've well, been on so. about 140 of them, I'd say. Probably 130, 140. I'd say. Mm. Something like that. So, yeah. Hello, newbies. Yeah. Goodbye, newbies. <laughs> All right. If you want to have your questions read out in the Emperor Podcast, not to Ali Plum, then do send them in via Twitter. We're at Emperor Magazine. Use the hashtag Emperor Podcast. We're on Facebook as Empire Magazine. You can email us podcast at empireonline.com. Okay, let's move on to uh, this week's movie news. Uh, how has Hollywood, Helen, reacted to news of Ali's departure from the podcast? I mean, shock, obviously, and upset, mostly. I think um, AJ was the most touching. Yeah, well, what 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 I, what JJ actually did? JJ Abrams, uh, obviously a close friend of Ali's, um, he he tried to, you know, buoy up everybody's spirits by releasing a little bit of new information and new pictures from Star Wars: The Force Awakens. So that's that's real. It's a real tribute to Ali, I think, and and just how much he was loved. Um, I just get the impression it was more about 
the film than it was about me. No, I, I, it's all about you, Disney Riley. moved D23 forward this weekend so they could specifically <laughs> uh, host a panel. Mm. Ali Plum, his life in words. I thought it was originally Ali Plum, who is he? <laughs> <laughs> who is this guy? How did he get in here? Security, security. <laughs> um, yeah, it's very, very sad. So yes, new Star Wars picks, new Star Wars... Um, uh, information as well. Yeah. Yes, we get to see a little bit more of uh, Adam Driver's Kylo Ren. That's 100% confirmed now. Uh, Ren apparently may be a title rather than part of his actual name. Um, he's part, uh, apparently belongs to a group called the Knights of Ren. We'll, we'll learn more about them. No. No, they're not, they're the knights who say knee. These are the knights who say Ren. They will so. not be demanding a shrubbery. <laughs> yeah, I think there'll be precious few shrubberies yeah, in this film, to be do honest. Wanna, do they want uh, Luke Skywalker to cut down the, the mightiest tree in the forest? <laughs> In the shape of a cross that's on fire. We can only hope. I did notice. Um, speaking of Skywalker, there's of course Star Killer came up in the in the EW coverage. This all comes from EW magazine uh, in the US, um, and that was of course the original oh, name EW. of uh, that was of course the original name of Luke Skywalker. EW. No, Star Killer. <laughs> was actually Luke EW. Stay with me, guys. Come on. I'm there. I'm there. We also get to see the first look at Donald Gleason's character and his incredibly nice coat. Anybody else kind of like the coat more than the character? Is that I just me? I heard that the spin-off is going to be called Donald Gleeson and his incredibly nice coat. The first Star Wars musical. <laughs> oh, well, I would I would go see that. It's a really good coat. A nasty-looking man. Bad man. So, yeah, so there's, I mean, check them all out online. Um, there's, there's lots of hints, lots of suggestions, um, but it's quite exciting because anything Star Wars right now is very exciting, I think it's fair to say. It's really not that far away. No, I know. It's less than six months now, it's isn't it? It's just really, really very close. That's now. It's four months. Four months. <gasps> it opens on December 18th. We'll probably see it on December 18th. Uh, <laughs> very, very excited about that. It's going to be a lot of fun. Prizes so, to be won. So, yeah. It's going to be good. Uh, fingers crossed. Oof. I've got some exciting news. No, yes, I do. No, yes, I do. I can see what's on your page and you're absolutely right. I am, aren't I? I don't want to spoil it for you, but Martin Scorsese <gasps> is directing... <gasps> that is how you say it. <laughs> Scorsese. <laughs> it's what he says in Entourage. That's what I'm going with. He's he doesn't directing. know how to pronounce his own name. He does know how to pronounce his own name. I don't know how to pronounce my What's name. What's he directing, he knows how to Phil? Pronounce his name and my name. No, no, let's make sure Phil never gets to that information. <laughs> Let Mar- me get through the, at least the end of this sentence. Martin de Scorsese. He's directing his next film. Do you know what it's called? Devil in the White City, which is a project that Leonardo DiCaprio has been trying to get off the ground for some time now. Oh, the guy who painted the Mona Lisa. Down, oh, my Lord. <laughs> it's about a serial killer. Which is what this podcast will be about any minute now. <laughs> um, and this film is going to involve Leonardo DiCaprio playing the serial killer, a man named Dr. H.H. H. Holmes. So it's set at the end of the 19th century, 1886, when New York hosted, sorry, Chicago rather, Chicago hosted the World's Fair, uh, which obviously brought a lot of people into town. Now, this man was a pharmacist, so he had a head start in the murdering people business. And not implying that people that work at Boots are necessarily psychos. <laughs> not Thanks in any way saying that. Sorry, let me retract that. But poisons are part of. But what they yeah, do. they're apothecaries. Yeah. We've all, you know, Romeo we've and Juliet. Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, we've all seen plays we've... and films in which chemists turn their skills to evil, and this is another one of those. And it's going to involve, as I say, DiCaprio playing this character. It's a man who bought a chemist store in Chicago, a drugstore, and then he bought the entire block around it. And I'm just going to read you something from a review of a book called. H.H. Holmes's Murder Castle, which okay. is what this place was called. Oh, so don't job. visit it if it's called Murder Castle. <laughs> That's the first thought. He <laughs> renovated the buildings and oh, turned them into a hotel this. just in time for the 1893 World's Fair. But this was no ordinary hotel. Most of the rooms were windowless, 
with stairways to nowhere and hallways that ended in dead ends. Holmes also built gas jets into hotel room walls, a wooden disposal chute, and person-sized kiln in the basement. This, next sentence is superfluous, was the perfect place to murder someone. <laughs> um, so it's a little bit like Sweeney Todd. Sweeney Todd, Sweeney right. Todd the chemist. Yeah. The demon I, chemist of, of Yes, but Fleet there won't Street. be songs in this, I shouldn't imagine. I really want to see this movie now because I want to see that scene. I want to see the scene where he talks to an architect and goes... Well, it's kind of what I want. I'm just a little bit kooky. Uh, so, just dead end and um, a murder kiln. Is that okay? Kooky or cookie? It is almost <laughs> like, I know that wasn't a Christopher, was that Christopher Walken you were just doing? No. Sounded a bit Christopher Walken. Oh, thank you. Christopher Walken might have played this when he was a bit younger. DiCaprio, it's interesting to see him going for slightly edgier, moving edgier and edgier. Uh, the Revenant is, is another film which will involve a fair amount of viscera, I'd imagine. And mm. this one is going to be... He killed a lot of people, this man. I don't want to spoil it by saying what happens at the end of the story, but it's an interesting one, and it's you know good to see Scorsese revisiting period, bloody period, in mm. the same style as The Gangs of New York. This is The Chemist of Chicago. Hopefully a bit better than Gangs of New I York. I would hope so, certainly, but I'm certainly interesting to keep but an eye on this one. This is one that like DiCaprio's been developing for a while now, isn't it? So he's been... He's really been pushing this, and I think if he's if he's got to a point where he's got Scorsese on board, it's got to be a, a good sign for the film. Definitely. Graham Moore, who wrote The Imitation Game, um, was involved in the script but has subsequently left. Mm -hmm. So things are developing with this one, and it's well worth keeping your eye on. So presumably DiCaprio's going to start filming out once he's finished The Revenant, which should be in 2018. Yes, <laughs> it could take some time once he's you know warmed up. Shall I do one? I've got one. Yes. Galifianakis is going to play the Joker. Yes. yes. In the Lego Batman movie. Yes. Uh, which we already know stars Will Arnett as Batman and Michael Sarah. <laughs> Michael Sarah <laughs> as Robin. Have you guys seen it on Twitter? The <laughs> Michael Sarah meme? No. Which is a series of jokes where people like they're, they're playing the idea that Michael Sarah is completely weak and ineffectual. So it's things like, you know, Michael Sarah breaks his wrist air drumming. You know, oh. Michael, you know, Michael Sarah gets a cold from sleeping. Yeah, you know, Michael Michael Sarah gets a cold from sleeping on the other side of the pillow. That sort of thing. You know, it's just a really funny meme. You should check it out. But it's obviously sad because he's you know, it's poking fun at the poor guy. But anyway, there, there, so there you go. Check that meme out if you want to. Just so this is going to be. So this is Will Arnett returning as the definitive Batman. Now with the Zach Galifianakis yes, hoping to play the definitive Joker. I mean, I'm I'm on board. I'll be honest. I'm there. Sounds like fun, but if they had cast someone to make it the Arrested Development godhead, should we say, who would you have cast as the Joker? Lucille Bluth. <laughs> I'm not even sure Lucille one or two, actually. Bringing a bit of cabaret to the Joker may be quite nice. Liza Minnelli. That would be amazing. Yeah. That would be good. I've got a lot of interesting facts unrelated to this, but did you know Liza Minnelli's coming into London uh, on September 20th? You make which, her sound like a blimp. Which... <laughs> Which there she not. is! She's talking in Portsmouth. <laughs> Quick to the anti aircraft guns. She'll be in London just three days later. Uh, she's uh, got. <laughs> I'm not making us up, serious. Uh, at the London Palladium on September 20th, Sunday, September 20th. Amazing. Which just happens to be my birthday, if anyone's looking for any presents. My birthday. Um, she's going to be uh, the focus of an evening with Liza Minnelli at the London Palladium, okay? Now, can anyone guess? I'm going to give you three guesses. Who's going to be the interviewer for that? David Furnish. I've got it. I've got it. No. Um, uh, Lizo from Newsround. Not Lizo from Newsround. Okay. One guest left. Helen. Is it Graham Norton? It's not Graham Norton. Stephen Fry. It's not Stephen Fry. David Guest is what I meant. It's not, it's, <laughs> David Guest. David Furnish is not. It's, it's, Chris Hewitt. No. I'll give you. I'll give you a clue in the form of an impression. Okay. <laughs> Bruce Forsyth. Bruce Forsyth. Are you kidding? That's right. Bruce Forsyth. Oh, come on. We'll be interviewing Liza Minnelli on stage 
in an evening with Liza Minnelli, September 20th, London Palladium. <laughs> I mean, come on. It's going to be awesome. We should get them both in the podcast. They can dance together, though. It'll be they great. Dance together. Brilliant. Yeah, extraordinary. I, I do wonder, and this is no disrespect to you know, Sir Bruce, if Liza Minnelli knows who he is. Right, any other news stories? Yeah, maybe a quick mention for Tom Hardy, who's um, attached oh, yeah. to produce and potentially star mm-hmm. in an adaptation of 100 Bullets, which is one of those comic book adapt- uh, one of those comic books that always appears in best of lists. It's, it's an absolutely brilliant read. Um, it's by Brian Azzarello and Eduardo Rizzo. It's a kind of cri- crime saga with a slightly... I don't know that you'd call it sci-fi twist, but it almost is. But the idea is basically is this guy called Agent Graves who goes around to people who have been wronged mm-hmm. and shows them evidence of who done it, who's responsible for their wronging, and gives them 100 untraceable rounds of ammo. And basically, the moment one of those bullets is found, all criminal investigation will cease. So if they shoot somebody with one of those bullets, they are golden in theory. So the the series is kind of jumps between this individual stories of these people and then there's a kind of an arc story of what is happening behind graves to allow all of this i guess for my money the arc story isn't quite as cool as the basic premise on the ground mm-hmm. a little bit falls away at that point but it is still a very 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 good comic book which could be a very very good movie it's um new line adapting it we don't know yet much more about you know who's going to make it, uh, whether Hardy will in fact star, and if so, which role will he take? Uh, but we do know that the Vatican Tapes writer Chris Borelli is apparently working on a script. So everything else is still under wraps, but we will we will see more about it soon. But Tom Hardy, that's a kind of vote of confidence, I would say. Yeah, do you think he's going to be Graves then? I would guess Graves, but so. I mean, at the same time... You can imagine him, if they've changed the story slightly and made him focus more on one wronged individual, mm-hmm. he would be a good guy to be wronged and be on a quest for revenge. I can totally see him playing that, so I'm not quite sure. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, we should probably talk as well while we're here because uh, about the Fantastic Four and that whole situation. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 uh, the film didn't do that well at the box office at the weekend uh, after it was um, shot by a trank equalizer dart. Oh, shall we dear. say uh, you're joshing so I am joshing uh, so if you don't know Fantastic Four made it was at one point tracking to make 45 to 50 million dollars at the, at the you know, US box office which is still not amazing but maybe enough to warrant the sequel that, that Fox had already announced for 2017 sure uh, now if you uh, further don't know then there's been lots of rumours of trouble behind the scenes shall we say on Fantastic Four you know with clashes between Josh Trank and the studio Josh Trank the director of Chronicle of course getting his first shot at the big time on this one some speculation that struggles with a big studio project was one of the things that led to him departing the Star Wars solo movie that he was set to direct all sorts of speculation and, and idle talk and whatnot. So a couple of weeks ago, I was tracking to open with 50 million. Then that came down a little bit because the reviews started coming out and people started really, really going after this film. So it's, it was tracking into open at about 30, 36 million. And then on Friday, when as the movie was about to come out around the world, Josh Trank wrote a tweet saying that basically the version that we were about to see in cinemas wasn't that good. He had a much better cut a year ago, but we weren't going to see it. Ah, well, such is life. This tweet was almost immediately deleted, but it's the internet. It's too late. It got out there. And that is now, I guess, being seen as a major catalyst when you have a director basically going, don't go see the film. Wide open to only 26 million, 25, 26 million in the States. So. Yeah, I think I think that's putting a little bit too much on the tweet. 
Maybe. to be honest. But at the same time... The cherry it, on top, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I think, yeah, that all the signs were not good. I mean, I don't think people were excited about it, particularly on paper. I don't think that the... the you know, the, the trailers and so on, all of which featured stuff that isn't in the film. But I don't think that they gave us much reason to expect something really new and fresh. It did just feel like another origin story. And I think, you know, I mean, I talked to them all back in May and they were still on message and saying all the right things. But, you know, underneath there was a little bit of a hint that already things were, you know, they yeah, were wary. Awry. Yeah. You got the sense on the, on the junket interviews you saw what the cast weren't exactly happy and on board and they were they were you know seemingly at pains to point out that they hadn't seen the film which I'm not entirely sure how much I believe that mm. uh, little things like that uh, yeah it seems I don't know this one's interesting they were miserable at Comic Con um, I thought you seemed they, they exuded there was a lack of energy complete lack of energy during their panel this just seems like one of those I, I did think that there was a point where the movie looked interesting. The first trailer I thought looked interesting. Yeah. But the actual movie itself, you know, I don't know. I, I've seen some people say it's Batman and Robin, but I don't think it is. No, that it isn't. Bad. But it's, it's, not, it's not a good film. in that way. No. no. It's just, it's just a, a dull film. It's dull. And that's the biggest crime, I think. I think. I think the problem is that people are not as excited about the Fantastic Four as they are about a Spider-Man or a Batman. So if you're rebooting the Fantastic Four mm-hmm. um, from a not much, much loved series of films, then you need to be really selling us on why we need to care about these people and I you know full respect to them for trying something different and for trying to ground this and make it more interesting I think the body horror angle was a really good one to go with but that's like five minutes of the film and it comes after so much you know waffling around that it's very hard to care anymore now obviously they let Daredevil go they let those rights elapse question is now will Fox be looking at it will they be looking at the numbers will they be looking at the, the critical reaction to this and going is it more trouble than it's worth do we just let the rights elapse or do we even work out a deal early on where we let them go back a little bit earlier maybe sell them back to Marvel or they do a Sony deal where Marvel come in on it and bring the FF back into the MCU and then wait a few years uh, although they, they rebooted Spider-Man very very quickly mm-hmm. but then again those movies were hits you know, they weren't as big as, you know, the Mason Spider-Man movies, you know, yeah. 800 million, 700 million, whatever it is. But this movie's not a hit. Or do they make a TV show and keep it going that way? Or do they plow ahead and make a sequel that kind of ignores the first hour of this movie? Because the last half hour, which is heavily reshot as well, I mean, that, that the ending of the film is you know, clearly a reshoot. But Kate Mara's wig on a test. In other news, see. Bill Murray, cameo, Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. In other, other news, Gaz Army trailer, check it out on mvr9.com. Other Steve, Jobs. Steve Jobs. It's still happening. Still going on. Thanks, Phil. <laughs> uh, how excited are we about Bill Murray in Ghostbusters? It won't be as Peter Finkman, but it will I be I didn't as... want to know, annoyingly. Okay. I'm sorry to share it with you, but it's I don't. I don't there. know who you play, but I know it's not Peter Finkman. Because it's a different universe. reboot, fresh start, all that sort of stuff. The Ghostbusters didn't have not existed previously. And Phil, Steve Jobs, you must be very excited about that. Really? Uh, very, very excited. I'm about very, that. very excited about that. Yeah. Well, specifically mm-hmm. excited. Yeah. Okay, good. Um, that's, yes. that's good. I'm glad, glad to hear it. Uh, should we have a guest? Cara Delevingne is everywhere these days, including, funnily enough, the Empire podcast. Uh, the British model turned actress MTA popped in recently to talk to Phil, uh, model turned writer, uh, about her new movie, the John Green adaptation, Paper Towns, which opens on Monday, presumably to take advantage of that Meerkat movies deal. Uh, she sings the Pokemon theme tune. She takes a weird selfie with him. She talks about the forthcoming DC movie, 
suicide squad and then she leaves in a puff of smoke no spoiler alert uh, she recorded this before Ali announced his departure of course but we <laughs> were reliably informed that she was distraught uh, enjoy we're very chuffed and thrilled to be joined by Cara Delevingne oh, don't be chuffed why not I'm kidding I love that word alright we're going to continue to be chuffed to okay. have Cara Delevingne on the Empire podcast for, for on debut as they say in Australia Dave on Dave um, talking about paper towns Australia yeah they say I think they say on debut but I just kind of... Oh, yeah. cool. Anyway, you're here I for the first time. Things. That'll be all you learn from my questions, I think. Okay. But you, you're obviously playing Margot in Paper Towns. That's me. John Green's follow-up to The Fault in the Stars. Yep. And you, your character, she meets a kid who lives across the road mm-hmm. when, she's, uh, when she moves to the neighbourhood. And then she grows up and the two of them kind of drift apart. But they're flung back together on one night where Margot just appears at his bedroom window and takes him off on a night of adventures and she has a task list of vengeance pranks effectively revenge plots plot. now that scene is just a lot of fun and yeah. it involves you executing an amazing car bonnet slide oh yeah I did that it was fun there was yeah I was gonna say is that that's kind of well you never thought you could do that on a minivan but you can do you need to wear the right the right trousers is there a danger of like friction I and think we used a bit of lubricant on the on the hood <laughs> to get a real good slide on it I think the first time I did it it was way too slippery and I went flying off the front um <laughs> But, you know, third time's a charm or something. There were a lot, actually a few stunts in that movie, which I did real, for real, for reals. Uh, like the tree climbing and the jumping through the window. Oh, okay. That's awesome. I had a harness on because of insurance, but I wanted to do everything because it's fun. Tell me about the, the, the dancing scene, because part of that night sees them in, in the top of, of a big office block. SunTrust Sun Trust building in Orlando. Building. Exactly. Yeah. And you and Nat Wolf dance to a Muzak version of Krista Berg's <laughs> Lady in Red. <laughs> Yeah. Now, you were probably a bit young for having heard Krista Berg's Lady in Red the first time round, but it's no, scarred. No, not at all. Well, the first time round, I don't think... I mean, when it came out, maybe not. But yeah, but you've, but you've been you've been kind of yeah, yeah. stamped by its horrors. For sure. Okay. No, Did, not they, by horrors, it's beautiful. But not in a Muzak version, <laughs> surely. It's no, like Lift. No, especially Muzak. You love the Muzak. I love Lift Muzak. It's my favourite thing in the world. No, no, it's horrible. Horrifying. What? But I don't think we have the rights to use the real song. Did, were, you actually, were you actually listening to Krista Berg during that scene? What, what do they play when you're doing the dancing? They didn't know we actually, oh, they well, didn't know the music. We did have to get the music. We had to get the rights to play the music. Yeah. And we didn't know if we had it when we were playing it, but that's what we hoped would be the song. Oh, I see. So you did have it. We were just dancing in silence. It's okay. always fun. Oh, that's so weird. <laughs> you are a Pokemon fan, self-professed Pokemon fan. How do you know that? Because you tweet about it. Do I? Yeah, you tweet like, you know, to YouTube videos of people doing Pokemon stuff. Oh, I did that, yeah. And lots of people love Pokemon. I mean, most people love Pokemon. I think if you did a straw poll of people in this room, a lot of them would like Pokemon. We're not going to do that because it's radio. Right. Pokemon is great. So, but in this film... I never understood how to do it. I just collected the cards because I'm a hoarder. Oh, okay. So, were you jealous that you didn't get to sing the Pokemon song with Nat? Yes. And would you like to do it now because I've got the lyrics? What? Yes. Okay. We can do this. This is totally experimental. Gonna be the very best, like no one ever has. To catch them is my real test. To train them is my cause. That's a terrible line. Well, lyrically. Yeah. Do we need to get to the chorus fast? And get I will out travel of across the land. You've gone for verse two. far and wide. Each Pokemon to understand the power that's inside. Pokemon, gotta catch them all. It's you and me. I know it's my destiny. Pokemon, oh. You're my best friend in a world we must defend. <laughs> Pokemon! I can sing. I'm just trying to be bad, I promise. 
So tulip, <laughs> tulip fever. <laughs> tulip fever. <laughs> no one has ever sung the lyrics to Pokemon in the Empire podcast before. That was a moment. If that they I think had, I would have been really shocked. Is there another? That's four verses and a chorus. Okay. Next I time we'll continue. On. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Um, <laughs> um, I wondered what your strangest audition experience has been in your in your career to date. Have you had any really weird ones? You, oh, yeah. you auditioned for um, Tim Burton, didn't you, for Alice in Wonderland? Yeah. How was that? Heartbreaking. <laughs> no, it was the best. Uh, it was the best experience ever because I got to go to his house. Nice. Nightmare before bloody Christmas. Oh, he had all these amazing drawings and the statues of the things, and like I. I was in shock horror. I'm not surprised I didn't get that because I think I was so nervous and fangirling over him. Did you um, go to his, so you went to his house to do the audition? Yeah. Do you just, does he just <clears> welcome <throat> you into his treasure trove of Tim Burton it's memorabilia? It's and dark and gothic and pretty. That's intense. That's amazing. That's like an extra level of... I was 16 of, as well, so I was a little child. But I guess having done that, that's, that's a confidence builder. No. If you can go into the no, temple no, of Burton. No, back about 10 paces. Did it no, really? After you don't get it. You yeah. Know, it sucks. Because when you're a kid, you don't really understand rejection yet. And I think, I thought I was made to play Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. I thought that was my thing. And then it's not, quite clearly. <laughs> so, shucks. That's what happens. Um, but yeah, I, I started learning how to deal with rejection probably after that. You are like super, super busy, obviously now. Of, you know, no. no, no. I mean, yes, Not enough. you are. Just take my word for it. I've checked your IMDb page. You okay. have a lot of films coming mm-hmm. out. Some really interesting stuff. Um, Suicide Squad. Mm. I imagine David Ayer has like drones following you around. Make sure you don't say too much about what you're doing in it. I have a chip inside my neck. Can you tell if us what you do in this film nope. so we can see that? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> I can't say anything. It's so shrouded in mystery, but it's going. It's like, it's worth the wait. It's going to be incredible. What did you do for your audition for that? I met him. Yeah. Um, he's an intense guy. He's, he's been on the Empire so podcast and I interviewed cool. him and he's, he's like, he's like 100% David Ayer all the time. He's one of the people. When I actually auditioned for the part, there wasn't a script yet. I think everyone that signed on for the movie signed on before there was even a script because wow. everyone was so into the idea. Yeah. Um, I actually auditioned and I did a monologue from Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Did you? Um, at his house and it was super intense and I ended up leaving wanting to kill people. Did you do the Richard Burton monologue in a Welsh accent? No. <laughs> that would have been funny. Actually, Elizabeth Taylor. I was like, I was like if, I, if I end up going to jail <laughs> because I punched or killed someone on the way home, you have to bail me up because it's your fault. You've driven me to feel like this. It I was d- amazing. He would, I'm sure. He, he's such an amazing director. Working with him has yeah. changed my life. It's incredible. It's a great cast. Yeah. The, the first one, the first picture we saw pretty much stopped the Twitter. It I mean, literally so cool, stopped Twitter. Right? Um, what was that like to, to, how long did it take? And, and what was it like seeing everyone in costume together for the first time? So amazing. And we've done rehearsals and everyone, it's kind of crazy to then see it all come together. Um, especially since all of us individually take like four hours to do. So it was really cool. You t- your makeup's four hours. It's, it's awesome looking mm. and the makeup and the prosthetics are very cool as well. It's going to be a crazy film and it's also being shot on film so it's going to be, yeah, to do a movie like that I'm so interested in film and camera so I just sit there watching the guys being like what do you do and I hit the box <laughs> and I check in the gates is a real thing instead of when they say it. And you check the gates for them? Yeah, because it's the real gates because when you shoot digital it's not. No, there's the gates. No, of course. Gates. It's like check the card. So what's your favourite thing to like shout on set that makes you sound like a filmmaker? Check in the gates. No, um, in that voice. Or rolling. Sound speed. I don't know. 
I'm not sure. <laughs> sound speed sound is impressive. Speed, yeah, it's good. I don't know. Anything. I just like to repeat people and annoy them. <laughs> on Paper Towns, I actually like to say action before Jake did, the director. It really got on his nerves. Sorry, Jake. <laughs> I cannot imagine why that would be annoying <laughs> for I the director. I can't imagine it. In any way. Print it yeah. and then just leave. Um, you get, you've got, obviously, a huge um, army of, of fans. Joking. <laughs> I just... <laughs> A huge army of fans out there um, who you have just the most Twitter followers. Um, and you will be picking up another huge army of fans, I'm sure, at Comic-Con from the fanboys and girls that love, you know, the DC it's universe. It's dream to be so, in, go to Comic-Con. I haven't finished yet. Sorry. No, I was just going to say, how are you? Yeah. <laughs> tell, tell me about Comic-Con. It's a much better. Is it really your dream to go to Comic-Con? Have you had that kind of... Yes. I'm a total geek when it comes to this kind of thing, so I'm so excited. Yeah. Um, just to dress up and run around a bunch of other dress-up people. Were you going to dress up in cosplay for Comic-Con? No, no, as, as something else. It's like the blob or something. I don't know. Really? I haven't decided yet. <laughs> <laughs> that would be very, very cool. Are you braced for that kind of level of, of, of extra fanness in your life? You could really mobilise these people it, into... once it gets over to a certain point, it doesn't, it just doesn't feel really any matter. different, does it? Cause I don't know. It's like, um, it's like on stage or when you're performing, if it's like 100 people... Or like sixty thousand. After a hundred, it just feels like people. Right, you know? but then at a certain point, it's like everyone, and then you can you can everyone. you can yeah. Not everyone. Most people. A lot. Yes. Not everyone. A lot of people. It's a lot of people. There's a lot of people. It's a lot of people. <laughs> it's going to be a rise. It's going to be a rise. Do you have um, do you have a sort of contract beyond Suicide Squad with DC? I don't know how much I'm going to say. No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> ah. Fair enough. Let me ask you some super random quick fire questions. Okay. I believe Spice World is the first film you saw at the cinema. Yes. What's the last film you saw at the cinema? Did you see Mad Max? Mad Max. Oh, you saw Mad Max. <laughs> it was totally Mad Max. Mad Max is amazing. Mad Max review in it's one incredible. sentence. Incredible. Freaky. That'll that do. That's, That's a, a word. <laughs> <laughs> That's also a, it's also a sentence. <laughs> um, Movies should be made like this more. Perfect. What, if what, you think, if you like Freaky, watch this film because it's so bloody good. What movie? It's a big long journey. That it, is. Sony is. What's the big? What's the movie you've seen more than any others? Zoolander. Suicide Squad has an amazingly musical. I mean, I know music is a passion of yours as well, but you've got Will Smith, Common, Jared Leto. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of musical talent there. Mm -hmm. What would an ensemble like super band of Suicide Squad as be called um, and if you pick the song that you all did together at the rap party what would you pick? It'd be called Suicide Squad the yeah, That's the porn we're making No, no <laughs> It would be called um, Suicide Squid No what? No No Suicide No I don't know I can't really think This is a really hard question but I You like could do it. the Pokemon the What Pokemon song theme? would we do? Surely like Fresh Prince or something An ode, ode to Will Smith he, We did a party in the beginning and he, he, he got up and sung it all did a lot of tune. It was the coolest thing in the world. Did he? Yeah. What did he do? I can't tell you. And then did everyone go, right, Jazzy Jared? Jazzy Jeff was there. I didn't oh. even know Jazzy Jeff was still alive. No, <laughs> not alive. Around. <laughs> but you're like, where is Jazzy Jeff now? I just didn't know he still existed. Okay. Well, <laughs> Jazzy Jeff. Jazzy Jeff. So Jazzy Jeff is still... He, and so he was at the party that you had before you started. So you did the rap party almost first. No, no. It was the start, start, the start party. party. Okay. It's a six-month film, so there's, there's got to be a party every so often. You have worked with... I mean, as I say, we did mention Chillip Fever. That's got a great cast. Really good cast. You right? wear some amazing ruffs in this film? No, I'm not the ruff. I'm a, I'm no a ruffling. Okay. I don't wear ruffs. So you're ruffless? I'm rough, so generally. <laughs> what are you wearing in this film? Corsets. Oh, okay. Or naked. No, no, I'm just corseting, dirty, hanging out. But I'm, I'm a very smart prostitute. I use my, 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 
my worth. It's either you're a princess in this movie or a prostitute. There's only really one way or the other. Right. Princess or prostitute. Yeah. Doesn't leave... Okay. Doesn't what about leave. the What about, like, Jack O'Connell? Is he a princess or a prostitute? Uh, both. <laughs> <laughs> the same time. Are you really looking forward to this movie? <laughs> it's going to be good. Amazing. Um, a lot of drag, apparently. Is there? Yeah. Okay. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to double check all this. Um, Cara Delamine, thank you so much for you coming to the Empire Podcast. I said I've lied the whole time. No, that's fine. <laughs> we'll take your word for it. Um, okay. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you. Bye. Cara Delevingne there. That I don't know why you've gone Irish. The lovely Cara Delevingne. Uh, that selfie. I don't think anyone has seen the selfie that she took with Phil, but it is an absolute delight. <laughs> you should uh, you should get on that right away. Uh, let's have some movie reviews. We'll get the Paper Towns in due course, but let's start because this week is big week. Quick pun. They should have done a Cara Delevingne, but they did a did a picture instead. I think that's one but you can you can leave on, right? That's that's pretty good. <laughs> it is pretty good. Okay, there's a whole bunch of movies to get through this week uh, because studios were avoiding the might of the Fantastic Four, and now that it's gone, they've opened up some other stuff. So let's start with Trainwreck, the Judd Apatow, mm. Amy Schumer comedy about a Q Nelly Furtado, promiscuous girl who finds the one. That's right. I just sang you did. Nelly Furtado. That's wow. not the song I asked. Oh. Which one did you want? I wanted Nelly. I'm like a bird. That one? <laughs> Stop it. Ricky Gervais is in the building. <laughs> as long as Radiohead don't come back, it's the main thing. No. Okay. <laughs> so uh, so train wreck. Train wreck. <laughs> Aptly enough, after that introduction. Apatowly enough. Oh, I'm so sorry. I've been trying to step up. Okay, so train wreck is um, Amy Schumer has been killing it on TV of late and indeed online and all these clips that have gone viral with her comedy show this is her big step up to leading roles in movies she wrote and stars in this kind of let's say there's autobiographical elements in the story although it's obviously not anywhere near autobiography but it's kind of a rom-com but with a huge amount of her kind of comedy in it which makes it slightly different from your average. So the idea is that she is, as Chris says, yes, a promiscuous woman. She's working on a, a men's mag in Manhattan. It's awful. It's edited by a completely unrecognisable Tilda Swinton and she basically just goes and picks up random men. Everyone says that. Every night. Yeah. I recognised her. I well, well done you, but I didn't for about 10 minutes. I didn't recognise really? her. Yeah. She's the one who looks like Tilda Swinton. Like barely. <laughs> I mean, I can understand Snowpiercer. She doesn't look like Tilda Swinton. No, she totally looks like but Tilda Swinton in Snowpiercer. Like Tilda Swinton. No, in this one, she looks like some Manhattan bimbo with the with the tan and the and the blonde hair. Oh, she plays Amy Schumer. You thought she was the intern. Yeah, <laughs> not a chameleon. She'd be in this room right now, we'd never know. Anyway, um, so uh, she's yeah, she's having a. Uh, a good enough time. She's uh, dating John Senna's hilariously confused and completely awful, awful man mountain. And uh, and she's also, you know, going out at weekends and seeing her dad who suffers from MS, which Amy Schumer's own dad suffered from. Um, and her sister who is happily married with a stepson and whose life she just doesn't understand. Amy just does not get this at all. Until she goes and meets a sports doctor played by Bill Hader. She obviously picks him up fairly quickly and then begins to realise that maybe she quite likes him, which causes her all sorts of sort of self-examination and crisis and bad behaviour, frankly, because she just doesn't know how to deal with it because she's never believed in or particularly wanted monogamy. So it's kind of her trying to overcome her own 
hang-ups and finds something that she thinks might actually make her happy in a different way than she previously has been. Uh, so that's basically the, pro- the plot. It's really funny, incredibly good supporting cast. LeBron James was one of my favourite things in the film. Um, the the ba- basketball player, I believe. That is correct. Alex. It is a basketball yes. player. There are many, obviously, other sports cameos. basketball for the LA Baskets. The LA Baskets. I did not know that. That's amazing. Wow, thanks for that. Um, funny Orlando that he's Blooms. baked... I think it's in New York. The yeah, film, he's, he's based in New York, <laughs> which New is York. which is unusual yeah. for an LA Baskets player. They play in New York? Of course they do. Because it's... it's more convenient right thanks Chris so many sports cameos if you like that sort of thing and they're all pretty good apparently they all get together and watch Downton Abbey who knew and just a very very funny cast overall like every Judd Apatow film it could lose 20 minutes or so and be a much better comedy I would say Uh, but at the same time it's not nearly as bad as some of his others have been for that you know we're looking Mm. at you funny people and this is 40 Um, and I would say it's a lot funnier than either of those So, so yeah I really enjoyed it I did too. Yeah. LeBron James is hilarious. He's brilliant, isn't he? So funny. I laughed a lot in this film. Good. (laughs) (laughs) End of the review. Yeah, I agree with Helen 100%. I couldn't have it. I think it's one of those films that maybe if you just happen to watch it, you'd enjoy it a lot more. I almost don't want to say, it's amazing. I just want to say, hey, you know what? Yeah. Want to go and watch a funny movie this weekend? Go watch a funny movie. That's fair. Don't go in overhyped. That's right. I I think, I mean, doesn't um, Mark Mode have that thing that if you laugh five times in a a comedy, it's done a good job, right? That's his sort of rule of thumb. I laughed a lot more than five times. Yeah, me too. I I think comedies. Five times. Five times. (laughs) 5.2 times median uh, for me is good. And this time I laughed at least 10 or nine, nine or 10 times. I got forward four times. I snorted twice. And Mm. I think it was kind of a cough chuck once. Well, it's still over five, so I think we're we're on pretty solid ground. Comedies are very hard to make. I think they've made a good one. I think she's great. Yeah, she's great. Very good. Yeah, I think um, I I think it's I'm, I think it's a solid comedy. I think it's it's very funny in places. Uh, It's very brave at times as well. In that, uh, Amy's character in this is uh, at times dares to be unlikable, which I think is good. Yes. Um, I. It's been hailed in some quarters as a kind of reinvention of the rom com. I don't really think it's that. Um, It's quite conventional in a way once you get down to the brass tacks but it's well shot it's really well acted she's great Bill Hader who I think is fantastic Mm. and have done for years um, is I think finally gets a a big screen role worthy of his talent the the skeleton twins notwithstanding he's great in this if you haven't seen him before then work backwards and check out his SNL really like Bill Hader in this film there is one thing about Appertown the place where Judd Apatow's movies are made, they, 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 they throw a lot of stuff at the screen. There's a mm. lot of different sorts of comedy. It, mm. it struggles to settle on one particular one particular sort of type. There's a lot of situational comedy, there's physical comedy, there's slapstick, there's gross out. It's kind of all there. And sometimes you're thinking they're just chucking stuff at the screen, whereas it'd be better if they trimmed it, went with a more consistent style um, and, uh, you know, just had a bit more sort of, a bit more belief I also think that this, talking about Abertown, it does live in a world of everyone's really well off and things are going really cushy and it's a nice house and uh, a nice world and everything's kind of gravy. Uh, So there was one moment where a journalist has essentially about seven months to write a feature (laughs) and then it could possibly maybe get spiked after that point. And this is a, a magazine that's basically FHM, but in America, that kind of... Some really funny stuff with the BuzzFeed journalist stuff where they have to come up with feature ideas and it's like mm. eight ways to insult your grandmother, you know. It's that sort of thing. I was also watching the the, the boardroom scenes with Tilda Swinton thinking, where are the mice? 
Yeah, this doesn't, doesn't Where's relate. Where's the gargoyle to... in the corner? I will say though that I quite like that Amy Schumer was wearing um, clothing that I have seen journalists wear. Mm. Apart from the fact that she was mostly in heels, I was like, "Yep, recognize that outfit." H and M, love it. Yeah, pretty much. So, um, so that was kind of good, you know. Rather than having her in sort of ooh, ooh designer gear, I'm sure it was all designer gear, but it didn't look like she'd spent hundreds of thousands of pounds on it, which I thought was great. A side note, she has a great little uh, bit on Jerry Seinfeld's Comedians and Cars Getting Coffee, uh-huh. the online video series. So go check it out. So if you want to find out a bit more about her, she's obviously got loads of stuff on YouTube, obviously from a mm-hmm. TV show. So there's a lot more to her than just this film. So if you're interested, yeah. go find out. Amen. Yeah, she's great. It's, uh, yeah, uh, very solid, very funny at times. Four stars for Trainwreck. And if you like Judd Apatow, We've got 45 minutes special with him, roughly 45 minutes special with him coming up on Monday. It's a lot of fun, so do look out for that. Okay, next up is uh, Guy Ritchie's The Man from UNCLE, which stars Army Hammer and Henry Cavill as the men from UNCLE. I believe that's how you pronounce it, right? Uh, next up is Guy Ritchie's The Uncle from UNCLE, starring Army Hammer and... No, you had oh, see, see yeah. the comedy. Yeah. I'll miss this. Uh, you will miss this. I will, I'll, I'm going to Skype you in every week we do a podcast. So you, can, you can watch this. <laughs> uh, anyway, it's a man from Uncle. It is. It is a man from Uncle. Man from Uncle. Napoleon Solo and what's his first name, Helen? Ilya Kuryakin. Ilya Kuryakin. Or as Phil will pronounce him, Scorsese. <laughs> you got Russian? It's 1963. You got your Russian? Who's guess which name? Uh, and you got your American. Uh-huh. The American is played by a Brit, and the Russian is played by an American. There's also a Swede playing a German. Okay. This is um, everyone's favourite Alicia Vikander. Alicia Vikander. She's my. She's definitely my favourite Alicia. Vikander. And she's playing a mechanic in uh, West Berlin, East Berlin, sorry, uh, Germany, under the Iron Curtain, and she gets picked up by Napoleon Solo, this American agent, uh, to uh, to get her out of the uh, Union and use her relationship with her uncle. Just a coincidence that it's an uncle here. Just a coincidence. Who works for, and this is where it gets a bit hazy because I'm not entirely sure when I watched the film yesterday, <laughs> who is affiliated with uh, an evil group of evil people, um, mm. uh, Elizabeth Debicki, big, grand, aggressively I yeah. made up uh, evil person who uh, is the wife of another bad guy in an Italian industrial complex. Uh, so they, they, they have to they get them out, get her out, get her to Italy, meet her uncle because her dad, and I promise you this is as simple as I could possibly make it, was a Nazi rocket scientist, uh-huh. but he wasn't actually a Nazi. He was forced by the Nazis to be a rocket scientist. Uh-huh. And he's on the very, very precipice of making a fully working atomic nuclear, rather, bomb. Yeah. So they need to get her out, use her to get in to these people, but the Russian and the American have to work together. Oh, no, it's going to be hard. There's a tension. No a tension. tension. So you've got this, Ali, this, this kind of smug you know, womanizer American guy mm-hmm. who used to be a thief, right? And then you've got this really, like, aggro, angry, like, strict, embarrassed about his dad, you know, who ended up going to the gulag from embezzling money, guys. And they, like, butt heads. Who would have thought? And sparks fly. They don't get on, do they? No, they don't. And oh they have God. to fight people whilst kind of fighting each other. And then they get into scrapes. And, you know, Guy Ritchie, loads of style, loads of loud music and uh, impressive montage, choreography, zooming in and out, uh... Fun, slick, frothy, fizzy, good stuff. But, and this is where you and I, Helen, are going to have a disagreement. Bring it. You say that the two leads have chemistry. I didn't, and this is something about chemistry and something about people having different opinions, obviously. I don't think there's a right or wrong here. I didn't get the chemistry between the two as much as I'd like. I found it actually quite awkward sometimes. Some of the dialogue felt a bit awkward to me. And I think particularly Army Hammer, who I like a lot... 
I found his Russian accent. It's not Barat, okay? It's not, hello, this is me. Or you didn't see that coming from obviously Avengers Age of Ultron, but it just took a while to get into this movie for me. I didn't quite get it. And obviously with my uh, prior history with um, uh, Mr. Superman, I found him a little, <laughs> a little too... The character is smug, okay? So I'm not saying that the actor is, but I found at times him quite distancing because he's so slick and quippy and I know what I'm doing. Bringing some baggage here, Ali, though. We <laughs> no, need to outside the so. door. <laughs> baggage full of um, amazing suits. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's, uh, it's just okay. I think it had potential to be better. I, I would agree that it had the potential to be better, at least. I think that the two leads are good together. I think we maybe needed a little bit more with him. And while I would agree that some of the dialogue is awkward, I think that's the dialogue and not the delivery. I'd say. Um, some amazing innuendo in this film. Fabulous innuendo. Very kind of that sort right. of Roger Moore era Bond kind of feel of fun and fizziness. And, yeah. and uh, you it's know... It's a movie where literally a character goes to an, a, a urinal in a public toilet and says, I'm going to give you something now, Solo, and you're not going to like it but you're going to have to swallow it. It's it's that kind of thing. <laughs> I mean, that wasn't one of the innuendos that really leapt out at me, but now <laughs> you really? say it. Now I see it in context. <laughs> what I thought about this film is it opens with this great action sequence in East Berlin. It's really good fun, sets everybody up really nicely. Um, and then it never comes close to that level of cool action again for me. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's there's some really nice scenes, there's some really nice moments in the action scenes, but for a sustained excitement, it doesn't come close to that. So I was still entertained, I was still enjoying just the guys being all cool and fancy and running around Rome looking fabulous, but I was not actually seeing a lot of action beyond I, that. Yeah. And I mean, and again, you know, we were talking with Trainwreck about different kinds of comedy. There's there's all kinds of everything here. There's literally hotel farce at one point, you know. Um, so it's it, it it really kind of runs the gamut that way as well. <laughs> but there's a genre called hotel farce. Oh, there it totally farce. is. Yeah. Where you're running upstairs and then going, oh, yeah. I just got out yeah, of the no, shower. Just, it's it's hotel, though, I'd, I'd give it a I'd give it a good rating on TripAdvisor. Yes, the hotel was lovely. Uh, yeah, I, I'm kind of with you as well. I think the third act in this movie, um, because it, they, they try and introduce stakes. It's so bright and breezy, and everyone's having a great. Uh, grand old time and then they try and make it quite serious at the end and there's yeah it just doesn't quite work mm. um the the third act action sequence is the dullest i've seen this summer which is not completely just the film the film has a lot of pleasures and uh you know it is quite funny at times and i liked hammer and cavill and vikander actually and she's vikander, great and elizabeth debicki who is my favorite actress to dunk into a cup of tea um is uh, also very very good delicious villainess um, and it's 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 all fine. I just thought, honestly, I mean, Richie brings out his big stylistic bag of tricks again, but I got I just get the impression that there's not a lot of energy or belief in the film. It doesn't sip along for me, uh, even though it's quite sippy on screen and there's lots of tricks and tropes going on. I I just I didn't feel much pizzazz. I would like to compare this movie to Sherlock Holmes, and I got the impression this is just guesswork here, but maybe you'll. Chime in with me here. Basically, when you're watching Sherlock Holmes 1 or 2, you got the impression that once the camera stopped rolling, they were laughing about and they were having a, you know, a drink or just like having a great time. I got the impression when the cameras were off, people went to their trailers. It felt a bit like it should have been zippier at its heart, yeah. whereas in reality it was kind of zippier in its script structure. But I do think that this one should be more fun than it is. And I think if it gets a sequel, that would be really good fun. 
Yeah, I, I do think if it, if it if it does well enough to warrant a sequel, I think that could be. Now they've done this establishing work. Yeah, it could be really really good. Uh, apparently, they're saying opening to fourteen million this weekend, which is a sequel killer, I believe. Um, yeah, I just it's, it sets up a sequel, yeah. and I'd love to see what David Beckham's character projectionist does in the next movie <laughs> because literally, yes, David Beckham is in this film, and you're sitting watching the film, and I, I was watching with Nick, your brother, Phil, in case you don't know. Who <laughs> no, is. Yes, um, I know. Uh, and I, it's, it's this guy, this Russian projectionist. He's under heavy makeup, but I thought that looks like David Beckham. And then he speaks in Russian, and I go, "That is David Beckham." And then, lo and behold, he's credited at the end, as, you know, which is annoying because I don't want to be really smug about it. But, uh, but yeah, it's, I want to see more of David Beckham as Russian <laughs> projectionist. But you know, it's fine. I, I, you know, a sequel would be interesting. to See where they can go. So we give it three stars. Three stars, which, as we all know, Ali, do you want to say it for the last time? It's a film that you might want to watch. Correct. That is the catchphrase. Um, let's move on to Pixels, in which Adam Sandler. Saves the world from aliens who've come to Earth to save the world from Adam Sandler. <laughs> yeah, you said it. Whoever wins, we lose. <laughs> <laughs> you said it. Aliens versus Sandler, Requiem. Pixels directed by Christopher Columbus, a man who obviously established the Harry Potter world and discovered the Americas. And he's back with another miracle. Um, he's trying to make uh, Adam Sandler and a bunch of his mates, we meet them as, they, as kids. They're arcade fans. It's a film that professes to have a lot of love for the whole arcade shingle. Um, yeah. movies uh, sorry arcade games obviously like Pac-Man and Donkey Kong feature strongly premise is either vaguely Independence Day there's a message sent into space just to you know just to inform whoever's out there that we're here the aliens misinterpreted it as an invitation to invade and destroy the planet the young kids we meet early on with Peter Dinklage's younger alter ego establish a sort of antagonistic kind of mulleted um, Billy Mitchell type character who defeats um, who defeats Sandler's younger Sandler in an arcade off? Um, somehow, in the interim, Kevin James has become the president of Amer- of the United States, <laughs> despite being stupider than the stupidest member of the Bush family. Um, he is. But you could believe that, right? I mean, like I right now, right now, you're hard. having trouble believing that, right? I, at yes, this time, Kevin James. I think reality trumps that. With the, with the in the White House, with the presidential race as it is, yeah. you have trouble believing that. Uh, yeah. Well, to be honest, I'm not sure that. Yes. Okay. If Donald, Donald Trump gets gets elected, we'll come back and re-edit this. We won't but come back and re-edit this because we'll all be dead. That's also possibly on true. Left, so who do it? That's possibly true. Anyway, so cut a long story short, the aliens come back and they challenged the human race to a series of games in which they pick the arcade characters that they want to battle us with. So we tackle massive Batman, uh, Batman, Pac-Man in uh, in the city. And Kevin James elevates his old mates to sort of security council status to try and fight, launch the fight back. Now, I thought this film was pretty awful. I have to be honest. <laughs> um, things I liked about it, I like Michelle Monaghan's in it. She's good. She plays basically Adam Sandler's whiny kind of love interest, although Adam Sandler's the whiny one, not her. And Peter Dinklage, I enjoyed, although he sort of somehow becomes Jamaican during the intervening years. And the bit with Pac-Man was quite fun. Things I didn't like about it, Everything else. <laughs> Phil has literally written down those notes. He has I've written down everything else like. in case I forgot that there weren't things that I liked about it. There's a bit where Cuba pisses himself. Adam Sandler's character is probably peak annoying in this film. He has that wheedling, self-pitying, life has treated me badly thing down pat right here. And he's sort of nasty and manipulative and emotionally does he, does weird. Does he get needlessly angry? Like really, really angry? Yeah, you'd be surprised. He gets furious for no obvious reason no all way. the time. And he's just sort From of Adam he's just burying barely suppressed rage, which comes out in weird ways. It comes out in comedy, apparently. I didn't think this film was necessarily aimed at me. It's probably skews quite a lot younger, 
But if for a film, as I say, that's professing to love arcade games, I didn't really feel a lot of love for arcade games. It all felt like they were just a bit of a prop to do this, the, 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 the Sandler, James mm. Stick, Peter Dinklage is along for the ride, um, and Josh Gad, obviously we had on the podcast last week, equally. Um, I didn't love this film. We gave it two stars. Mm-hmm. I think my brother, who reviewed it, enjoyed the big set pieces, the big action sequences more. I didn't find much to like in it myself. But, there, you know, I guess from his point of view, there, there, there is some fun to be had, and he's right about that. The Pac-Man stuff's quite fun. Um, some of the alien invasion set pieces are quite fun. They spend a bit of money on it, and uh, it has that to recommend it. But I would definitely give it the swerve. Strange, because this is a lot like uh, the section of a Futurama episode from about seven years ago, uh, where this happens. They see the computer games are transferred into the ether, and they say, oh, right, well, we'll invade us then, then. Yeah. And it's just really odd to see that turn into a big movie, and obviously this was based on a short, a French yes. short. Very, from, very good one, too. Mm. Four or five years ago, mm. which had so much potential. Yeah. And it's funny, I think after Wreck-It Ralph, mm. if you don't really love what you're playing with the IPs you're playing with people can tell Wreck-It Ralph loved the, the IPs absolutely loved you know it. and in this film you've got Cuba peeing himself as a, as a bit of like you know jollity yeah uh, so that's the difference I would okay. say between those two films and apparently it ends on a threesome joke so again I'm not sure who this is aimed for but anyway two stars Empire. two stars two stars for pixels say it Ali what do we say for two stars that's a two star film exactly that's the catchphrase which in itself is the catchphrase Paper Towns Let's talk very quickly about Paper Towns because we're running out of time. I need to get back to work. <laughs> it's press day and people are going to be angry at me. Is a stop-motion origami movie? It is not, sadly, no. Although that would be awesome. I would watch that. Get on that, Alderman. Um, yeah, please do. Uh, this is another John Green adaptation. He obviously wrote The Fault in Our Stars, uh, which we saw last year. Um, and uh, this one basically has nothing to do with that, although there is a tiny cameo from a cast member of the first one. It's not like he's... Um, making sequels to his own stuff. Um, But this is a kind of a John Hughes-esque teen... I don't want to call it a romance because it isn't exactly teen comedy drama? Teen movie. Um, So you've got Nat Wolfe, who also appeared in Fault in Our Stars. He was the guy, uh, Isaac. Um, Here he plays a thankfully healthy teenager called Q, who has had a crush on his neighbour Margot, who's played by Cara Delevingne, for his entire life, pretty much, or certainly since she moved into the neighbourhood. As they're coming up to the end of their final senior year of high school, she comes to his window one night and she says, I need your help. Um, I have to get revenge on some people. I need your. I need you to drive me around. So they go around. They have this, as far as he's concerned, magical night. This is the beginning of something. This is him and her finally together as they were meant to be. This is destiny as he sees it. And then she disappears completely. And so after a little while, he starts becoming convinced that he knows that she always leaves clues. She's disappeared before. She leaves clues. He becomes convinced that she has left clues for him to find, to seek her out, to track her down, because this is destiny. This is surprisingly really, really good because it acknowledges the fact that, you know, sometimes destiny isn't quite what we think it's going to be. Sometimes uh, Manic Pixie Dream Girls are actually people and not sort of, you know, crazy little constructs that you have in your mind. Um, and uh, and that there is, you know, a little bit more going on maybe than just her running away so he can flirt with her or something. Um, so it's it's a really, really good performances by not just the two leads. I mean, she's surprisingly good, I think, because I, I 
perhaps wrongly had very little expectation of her as an actress but she's really good she just strikes that note of being the cool girl but a very realistic cool girl he's very likable I think he's one of those guys he's like a young John Cusack or something he's just you know he's got the acting ability but he also feels like a real person we gave it three stars Ian felt it was a little bit over familiar I liked it a lot more I felt like it's it actually catches that John Hughesy realistic teenage kind of interplay that we haven't seen enough of recently. But at the same time, it's it, it might still be a three-star film, but it's a very good one. So that is a recommendation from us. Three stars. Ali, do you want to say it? Three stars is something we approve of. There we go. Also out this week, uh, very quickly, is Mistress America, the latest Noah Baumbach, Greta Gerwig joint, uh, which sadly none of us in the pod booth have seen, but Empire has seen it, and we gave four stars to it, and it actually may be the film of the week, weirdly enough, but sadly we haven't seen it, so we can't really talk about it. Uh, also out this week is uh, Absolutely Anything, uh, the Terry Jones, Simon Pegg comedy, which we've given two stars to. And that's it for this week's Empire podcast. That's it for Ali Plum. So out of five, what would you give me? Don't say one, because that's rude. Six. Can I give you six? I think I can give you six out of five. Okay, what's that? What's that? I'm what's gonna, the catchphrase for six? Come no. on, we don't work at time out. We don't have six This is stars. true, this is true. Okay, I'll give you five, but it's an Attack of the Clones five, so I meant it, <laughs> I meant it at the time, but I'm <laughs> Next week we'll fully prepared. To, yeah. When you're, when you're gone, to be like, mm, Ali Plum, I'm not so sure about him. All right, so let's get let's get the rest of the goodbyes out of the way. It's, uh, it's goodbye from Helen. Toodaloo. It's goodbye from Phil. Cheerio. And it's goodbye for the last time from Ali. Uh, Ali, I know now why you cry, but it is something I can never do. What is your farewell message to the Empire Podcast listeners? And indeed to uh, us idiots. The maximum possible horsepower a horse can have is 14.9 horsepower. Pleasure serving you. Thank you so much to all three of you and to the listeners. I've had a really, really, really good time. The RSI, that's just a minor... Sorry about that. Minor fly in the uh, gin and tonic. Honestly... This has been amazing and I've got so many memories and it's not just thanks to you guys, it's thanks to the listeners. If you listeners don't listen, it doesn't warrant us making a fool of ourselves in front of Meryl Streep. So truly, I've had an amazing time and uh, I have not fully come to terms with myself leaving. And as concerns actually making this, it is a up at dawn, (laughs) pride swallowing siege I would never fully tell you about. Yeah, this is a tough job. And again, apologies for every time I've left something that I shouldn't have. And apologies for all the bad puns and the weird facts. And thank you for indulging me because this is the best possible way I can think of of saying goodbye to something that I've considered myself attached to my personality. Working for Empire, it's like you're married to it. You're like, if you write for it, it's something that you, you put next to you yourself. It's the badge uh, in Shaun of the Dead. It says Empire and then Ali. So I'm taking that badge off and I'm going to frame it. And thank you to everyone and anyone I've ever met because my life is blessed. Thank you. Three stars is a recommendation. There you go, Chris. There you go. Mic yeah. drop. When you do make a t-shirt with it on, mm-hmm. do let me buy one. <laughs> Don't worry, we'll, well, I'll save you one. Uh, annoyingly, you're a small, I think, aren't you? So yeah. Just, yeah, that's that's depressing. Small like Superman. Farewell to Ali. Bye, All Ali. Right, that's it, then. Bye. That's it. <laughs> this is rather... Okay. Yep. Yep, just bye, Ali. The door is right there, you know. Yeah. So bye. Oh, can you close the door? Can you close the door? That'd be awesome. Right, he's gone. Uh, yeah. Okay, so it's goodbye for me as well. Uh, join us next week for more film-related fun. We'll be joined by Jack Whitehall, star of the Bad Education Move. Hang on a second. What if if Ali's left? Who's going to edit the podcast? <gasps>